This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, just when I didn't think the regular season could get any better, week 18 knocked it out of the park. The Georgia Swarm finished as the number one team in the NLL and had seven players with 50 or more points. We'll set up the two divisional semifinals this weekend and we'll talk to two of the men that will be calling the action. All that more on OTCB. Welcome to another show here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. This is the Off the Crossbar podcast, and my name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome, one and all. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We'll talk about uh, some of the performances over the course of the 18-week season that we saw. We will get you set up for this weekend's games. We'll talk about all the games this past weekend. And man, oh man, oh man. When there was so much to play for, you almost would have been okay if only one game kind of came right down to the wire. Or maybe two of the games were pretty exciting. Because there had to be a lot that happened over the weekend for us to actually get what we got in the final standings. The Mammoth needed to lose. The Stealth needed to win. Both of those things happened. The Black Wolves, well, Rochester needed to win twice. That got kicked out the window early on Friday when they lost to Georgia. The Black Wolves needed to lose, and the Rock needed to win for the Rock to get second place in the East, and that happened. And then to end it, Calgary puts a whipping on the rush, and the Nighthawks go out with a buzzer beater. And at the end of it, once all the dust settled, not only did we have one of the greatest regular seasons I think we've had in quite some time? We have the emergence of a absolute budding superstar in Lyle Thompson, in Mark Matthews, in Tom Schreiber, in Corey Small. Like, what we saw in 2017 was just phenomenal. And sure, we didn't exactly get Dane Smith-like numbers and going off for 137 points. But what we did see was some absolutely phenomenal performances from front to back. And not just guys putting the ball in the net. The work that the boys between the pipes did this year because they're seeing more and more shots every year as offenses get more and more creative. Ty Belanger faced 82 shots Saturday night in the game against New England. And for those of you wondering, because I was wondering, the record for most shots faced in a game is Matt King with 87. So Ty was just five off of that record. 
Oh, and most saves in the game? Yep, Matt King again, same game. He made 73 saves in that game where he faced 87 shots. Oh, and you're wondering how many saves did Ty Belanger have? 66. And if it's not for him, I truly believe the Vancouver Stealth aren't in these playoffs. Because Ty Belanger has been some sort of really, really good down the stretch for the Vancouver Stealth. And I truly believe that they don't get into the playoffs without him. He is going to be a huge part of their success going forward if they are going to go forward in these playoffs. And with him in their net, they somehow defied all odds and were able to come back from last in the NLL West, clawed their way through Calgary, were able to get over top of the Mammoth, and now will host their first ever home playoff game at the LEC. I didn't think it would happen. And I'm completely shocked that I'm not getting on a plane on Friday to go to Colorado to call the game. Shocked. But that's just kind of how this year's gone in the National Cross League. As mentioned, somehow... The Toronto Rock were able to leapfrog the New England Black Wolves, and they are hosting a home playoff game. Unbelievable. And it's an testament, a testament to all the boys on the floor battling every shift. And you know what? I couldn't, yes, I it could have turned out. For the team that I differently for the team that I called games for. But as a fan of lacrosse, the final weekend was just ridiculous. Because even though Colorado didn't play the greatest game, they still had a chance to win. And they were able to get themselves back in that game, got to within one, and were able to get possession off the last faceoff and had a chance to win it. Brandon brought up the floor. Here's a chip. Oh, the last shot taken by Cameron Holding and stopped by Bolt. They got it done in terms of getting that last shot, but they came up short. Wow, what a finish, though. It was a crazy finish. Colorado scored three goals in the last three and a half, 345 to get to within one, but was, was unable to get that last shot, Aaron Bold, and force overtime. And with that game, it gave the Vancouver Stealth an opportunity the next night to go into New England and steal a victory and steal home floor advantage in the semifinal. And everything kind of looked good for Vancouver. You know, they were up after the first they were down a goal after the second. They were up after the third. And then mid or third of the way through the fourth quarter, they were up 15 to 10. And then from 6.32 to 11.43, New England would go on a 6-0 run and take the lead. I was listening 
to the call by Jake Elliott in the car on my way home from the golf course. And where I picked it up, he was just kind of talking about what a comeback from by New England, see if they can pull this off. And I didn't quite know what had happened until he told me that it, it was at one point it was 15-10. And then now it was 16-15. And I said, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And then that rat Corey Small. Man, next time I see him, I'm going to give him. Really, Smallsy? Come on. Way to ruin my day. Corey Small ties it with 18 seconds left, forces overtime, and then six minutes in, he breaks Mammoth Hearts. Durston clears. Here's Small on the spin. Loading, shooting, scoring. Corey Small wins it in overtime. The Stealth will host a playoff game. Small ties it. Small wins it in overtime. Corey Small. Corey Small wins it. 17-16, your final. What a game. What a game. So the voice you just heard was that... A Vancouver Stealth play-by-play man, Jake Elliott. He, during that game, he went from really excited to completely depressed to scared to nervous to elated in the span of about 20 minutes. Jumbo is a longtime friend of the show. And earlier today, I was able to catch up with him. And we will obviously get to the discussion about that goal that you just heard. Um, and the upcoming game against the Mammoth this weekend. But we start our conversation, and I ask him about the belief that was in that room, and when did it start that they really thought that not only could they make the playoffs, but there was a true possibility that they could get into that number two seed. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question uh, right off the top, man. Uh, you know, they, they come out of the gates 2-0, and and... and... You thought, okay, like this this new year, new team, and then I think what they went on to lose about six in a row, I think. Yeah. And then you kind of thought, well, here we go again. And I don't know where to put the finger on it. Like even with those some of those losses, like they had George on the ropes at home yeah. and, and let that one slip, and uh, they came up with a lackluster performance against Rochester, but we're still right in it in a game they probably should have won. You you look at that overtime game against Colorado and and. You know, so the, I don't think the record really def- reflected of what this team was capable of, and they just they've struggled against the East for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say probably the home game against Toronto is is where the turnaround started. And you know, they they got hammered in Toronto a week before, and and then coming back home playing against the same team. I don't know how many positive feelings there were coming into that game. And they got out to a slow start in the first half again, but then really turned it on the second half and maybe started playing the best lacrosse and and uh, started to string a few home wins together. They had a hiccup in Saskatchewan, but I don't think that was all all that concerning. And um, and they just kind of continued to grow, and the chemistry has continued to develop, and and the belief I think is there now. And 
you know, this is definitely the the best lacrosse I've seen this team play since uh, the four years that they've been here. And, um, you know, I, I would attribute it to the top of Jamie Batley and, and Jim mm-hmm. Milligan, the job they've done. And, and then you put uh, Ty Belanger right in that conversation as well. And, and then you add in guys like Matt Beers and Justin Salt, who I think have really taken their game to another level. The addition of Pete McFedrich has been huge for them. And and Corey Small on a MVP level um, has has been massive. And, and Logan Chess, so I'll add him in there as well, who was, went through a bit of a drought for a three or four game spell and, and has really kind of turned his game around back on again and, and uh, has really helped spur this team on. So, um, for me, you know, Vancouver may be the hottest team in the in the league going into the playoffs. And I'm not just saying that because I'm Vancouver's guy. I really believe that uh, they're not a team that, that many teams want to face uh, heading into the playoffs here. You talk about all those names of guys stepping up. Um, you know, I, I know Matt Beers is going to get some, some talk for Defender of the Year. And obviously Justin Salt could be your front runner for Transition Player of the Year. And Corey Small, the way he's played over the last three years is def- or three games, especially is, is definitely an MVP contention, but Ty Belanger really not, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he took his game to a level that I don't think a lot of people knew he had. And I don't think the stealth or where they are without him in the way he's played over the last month or so between the pipes. Yeah, guaranteed, guaranteed Teddy is, uh, I mean, you think about it, we got Ty Belanger for Mitch McMichael. In a, in a straight up one for one deal that kind of happened just before training camp started, and you know, for McMichael, no disrespect to him, but it was a, he was a guy that was planning on moving back east, and Vancouver just wasn't going to invest and, and sign him to a contract uh, to fly him in. And Ty Belanger, a, a guy out of Wallaceburg, but has transplanted to BC and is working for the city of Delta and was going to live in in the lower mainland out here. And it just kind of became a trade of convenience really. And to get Belanger in a one for one deal for a guy that's, that's not even in the league this season has just been amazing. And, you know, he, he came in and, and I think in his mind, he wanted to be the starter right out of the get go. And I don't think there was any misconception that Tyler Richards was going to get his shot to be the number one guy. I think he had earned that, a guy that's been a champion staff and been here a long time, and I think deserved that respect and that opportunity to be the number one guy and came out and won his first couple of games and, you know, kind of looked like the Tyler Richards of old. And, and you know, Ty just kind of bided his time, and I think it was about game five, game six that, that he got in there. And he didn't win his first couple of, you know, starts that he got in there, but played well enough to give the team a chance to win. And and Bally just kind of stuck with him, and it just kind of kept coming and kept coming. And then uh, he had a, a couple of real good performances and just kind of grabbed the job and, and never looked back. And I think the confidence and the belief there was, was always there for Ty Belanger. It took a little longer for some people to come around on it, myself included. And, you know, I still wasn't quite sold on it. Uh, probably at the midway point of the year, but uh, he's he's got me sold now. Like he he had a couple of uh, slips, you know. I think one in Buffalo where he wasn't that great, but um, he's put up some monster performances. Like I, if you think about it, 84 shots against mm-hmm. New England and to allow 16 on that, that's over an 800 save percentage, which is crazy to think. Like I I don't even know if I've seen an NLL game where I've seen 84 shots fired on goal and. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he's just ultra calm back in there. He's super competitive, and uh, he throws the ball really well. And and he just he just makes the stops that he's supposed to make. And and as you know, Teddy, that gives your team a, a ton of confidence, and uh, your defense starts to, to buy in. And um, when you when you have a, when you believe in a goaltender, a lot of things can happen. And uh, this team is has really rallied around Ty Belanger, and I think you got to put him in conversation for goaltender of the year. You talk about rallying around guys, and, and for years, the Vancouver Stealth have been a team that's rallied around Reese Dutch. And, and this year, it's become almost Corey Small's team, and, and he wears the seed, and he's, he's, he's a quiet leader, but he speaks volumes on the floor. The way he's played the past three games, averaging over six points a game, He's we, like I've gotten a chance to watch Corey Small in Victoria. You've gotten a chance to watch Corey Small in Vancouver. This is a completely another level for Corey Small. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, he wears the C in Victoria. Curtis Hodgson wears the C here in Vancouver. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying, and uh, you know I, I would think Corey Small is definitely one of the leaders on this team. He's part of that leadership group, no question, and. I mean, what a luxury for Reese Dutch that he doesn't have to bear that weight uh, that he that he has for the past, you know, three four years. Where if he doesn't get it done, the team's not going to get it done. And and you're right, he's Corey's really taking his game to another level. And I think what makes Corey so special is that he's probably the most humble guy you're ever going to meet. Like he just, you know, it, he doesn't he doesn't have that superstar aura about him. Um, where he kind of, you know, has the cock of the walk sort of thing. He just goes about his business, and he's just so unassuming and, and such a nice guy and so humble that uh, I think that's kind of what it makes it more special than anything else. But he's always been, you know, a, a top-flight lefty, but he's he's now put himself into the upper echelon of, of players in the National Lacrosse League. And I think he's maybe had one or two games where he came up with three or four points, and that's an off night for him this season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you just – you've come to expect it out of him now, and, and I think he's okay with that now. Like, he knows that he has to produce, and he's good with it, and, and he's willing to, to take that load on. And and when you can have a, a premier left-hander like Corey and, and, and compliment him with Logan and then have a premier guy like Reese Dutch and, and have a guy over there like Conway or McCready to kind of compliment him, that makes it real tough on defenses to try and defend that because you just can't key in on one guy. I want to talk about that extra body on the right side in a minute, but Corey Small had career-high goals, assists, and points, and he didn't have a career low of two penalty minutes. It's not a career low, and he only had two penalty minutes. Like, if that's not a sportsmanship kind of award kind of guy, I don't know what is. Yeah. But it, it's crazy to see the fact that this Vancouver Stealth offense is finally healthy, and you you have the luxury of rotating through James Ray and Corey Conway, and now you can add in you know McCready either playing the front door and the back door. I think the healthiness of the stealth has been one of their biggest assets this year. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, I, I think back over the course of the, the last four years and some of the injury troubles that they've had to deal with in that time, it's just been decimating for this team and they've never really been completely healthy. And I, I want to find a piece of wood to knock on right now, <laughs> but they've, they've been rather healthy this year. They've had a, a couple of hiccups here and there, and you could probably throw Evan messenger into that mix now and, 
And over the last three or four games, they've gone with four lefties. And, and I think that's really taken some pressure off of Logan Schuss in that regard, where he's not going out every single shift. And, and when he does go out, he's probably a lot fresher. And mm-hmm. and Messenger hasn't looked at a place out there. And, and here's a rookie that the guys just love. Like, they just love Evan Messenger and his attitude and his work ethic and his positivity. And, and they're so excited for him when he has success. It's It's been fun to watch. And, and Jordan Durston, he kind of got out to a slow start on offense this season, but his eclipse, you know, his his career totals uh, yeah. for a rookie and, and is really starting to produce on a consistent basis. And I think, you know, back to that game on Saturday where, uh, you know, Corey ties it with 18 seconds to go. They they win the faceoff. They drop a play on the six on five, and and the play is for Jordan Durston, and he comes in and, and rings the pipe with two seconds to go with a chance to win it. And it was like, man, you know, like that's the kind of goal that can just like set your career off yeah. on the you know on the high path there. But I don't think that's going to affect Dirty too much. But he's, you know, he's now starting to chip in with three four points a game, and it's it's just uh, it's all kind of coming together at the right time here for Vancouver. And it's it's exciting to watch. It's been a long time coming, and uh, it's it's a fun team to be around right now. It shows and it says a lot about where this Vancouver team has come from years past. To be able to be up 15-10 and then be down 16-15 and still have the resolve and and the willpower to be able to tie that game. How much has, How far has this team come? in your opinion, to be like, where does that energy and that mentality come from? Is that a Batley thing? Is that a leadership thing? Or is that just this new wave of the stealth and the way they're playing? I think it's probably a combination of both and, and all those things, Teddy. I know it's probably a bit of a cop-out. I, you know, I, I really think that, that Batley has kind of instilled that culture and that belief in those guys, but they still have to believe in themselves in order, in order to get that done. And, you know, nobody likes seeing a, a five-goal lead slip away. But with that being said, you know, they were down beers, Smith, Toll, traveling mm-hmm. across the country and, and just talking with the guys. I know their legs were cooked after the second quarter. Like, they were gassed. They were they were, <laughs> they were, were tired out there. And, and for them to kind of fight through that and, you know, you don't, you don't like to see a, a lead like that slip away on you, but and a lot of things had to go right. Like you think about the shot that Dutch took earlier in the possession and it kind of ended up on the back of the goal and Corey Conway pounces on that to give him one more opportunity yeah. to to try and tie that thing. And, um, you know, a lot of things have to go right for that to happen. But, you know, you, you kind of make your opportunities, right? And and those those sort of things don't happen if you're not doing the right things and working hard. And um, a lot of those chances and bounces and those sort of things have gone against Vancouver over the past few years and now they're kind of starting to go Vancouver's way and I think it's just it's just a, a progression and a belief that it can happen if you if you continue to stay with the process and do the right things and, and I think you have to start at the top with Jamie Bowie installing that belief in those guys and, and now it's you know fully trickled through the full roster and, and every guy on that team truly believes the opportunity ahead of you is now a home playoff game, and you get the Vancouver Stealth, who you guys have played four times this year. Uh, they only lost that overtime loss uh, that where Brent Adams had a career night in his first-ever National Cross League game. But, you know, this is – people keep saying, you know, this is a huge win for the Vancouver Stealth. It's a huge win for lacrosse in D.C. It's a huge win for the National Cross League to have the Stealth in the playoffs hosting a playoff game. 
do you think all that pressure will be too much for this group? Because there's been times where I've talked to guys in that locker room and they have felt that the pressure to win at home has been too much from the people at the top. And that's what's caused them to have poor performances at home. Yeah. I think early in the year that was the case and you could, you could see it like they were ahead in games late and laying them slip away. And the difference for them over the past three or four games at home is they've, you know, either been up a couple or down a couple at halftime and then just stepped on teams' throats in the mm-hmm. third and fourth quarter, in the fourth quarter in particular, and just left, not left a doubt. And I think the pressure was there. I think they've learned how to deal with that pressure. They've made some adjustments being at home. Like, they don't let guys uh, sleep in their own beds even when they're at, at home. Yeah. Yeah, they, every, everybody checks into the hotel, and they, and they really kind of try and treat it like a road game. They've changed up their practice schedule and their morning shoot-around times a little bit. They've they've kind of just kept tweaking things to to get the right feel and the right mix going into a home game for a weekend. And um, I think they found the recipe finally, and, and now guys are are embracing that. And, and with that, with the wins, you know, that's what Vancouver fans and Vancouver lacrosse fans alike have been waiting for is – for this team to win at home. And, you know, we've seen over the course of the last three, four games with the performances, with the wins, the fans have started to come back to Langley Event Center. And um, I can tell you this, uh, after that win on Saturday, I mean, I'm not really even selling tickets anymore, but my phone and, and my <laughs> emails have really been uh, ringing off the hook. And, yeah. and I know the boys at the LEC have been ultra busy and, I'm feeling pretty good about it, Teddy. I'm really hoping to see that thing uh, packed to the rafters. And, and, you know, for whatever reason it is in the Langley Event Center, when, when that building is full, you know, it, yeah, it's 5,000 people, but it can it can feel and sound like 20,000 in there. Oh, and and, and, um, and now the, the players have kind of embraced that, and, and the fans have got behind them, and they, they've started to use that in a positive way. So, Hoping for a full building, and uh, I know the, the boys are going to be ready, and they're going to embrace it and uh, hopefully use it to their advantage. Saturday night is, is a classic West matchup of two teams with, with tons of offensive talent. Uh, both love to run the floor, and it'll probably be chippy at times, as we saw in the last game between the Vancouver South and the Colorado Mammoth. What kind of performance do you expect between these two clubs as they play in the West semifinal? Yeah, like I, I just you know they're two teams that uh, that really match up well against each other, and it's it's always entertaining uh, when the mammoth and, and the stealth play. That's there's no question about that. I would expect both both goaltenders to to be on top of their games, and you know I think it'll be a real chess match coaching wise, and mm-hmm. um, hopefully you know it it doesn't come down to special teams. I'd like to see these two teams just run and gun and, and play five on five and and let the best team win sort of thing. Right? I hope the the officials don't get too involved with it, and, and I hope the boys play the good, clean, hard lacrosse. And at the end of the day, I think you know the team that executes their game plan the best is going to come out on top. And they've all been uh, pretty entertaining games. There's been games where Colorado's like heavily outshot Vancouver, and and Belanger has kind of stood on his head. And and then there's been a couple where where Vancouver's offense has just been a little bit better than Colorado's, mm. and and they've come away with wins and. It's uh you know it's 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 hard to beat a team four times in a row in a year, but um, I think you know I don't know, Teddy. I think we can probably expect what, like a twelve, eleven, ten, nine sort of game, something like that is is what I'm envisioning. 
Yeah, I think it'll be right around there. I think I, I think these offenses are too good not to be, you know, in the double digits at some point during this game, and it's going to be uh, a high power game. But that chess match between the two coaches, I think, is going to be one thing that we'll have to keep an eye on because there's been times where Colorado has jumped out to early leads on Vancouver, and Batley's been able to tinker a little bit here and there and find the chemistry that gets his team back on the roll. And Saturday night should be an absolutely fantastic one. One last question for you. Have you found a watermelon big enough for your giant stone? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're we're having some fun with that, aren't we? Uh, I, I'm going to have to take a trip to the local Safeway here and see what's happening. But uh, my kind of my deal with that is, is that we have a season ticket holder, Jamie Megan, who who offered up that first and said, you know, if, if we get a home playoff game, he'll wear the watermelon. And then the Saskatchewan fans started to get into it and said, oh, well, maybe Jumbo should do that too. And so I said, all right, if if it happens, so if, if Saskatchewan beats Colorado on the final weekend, we beat New England, we get the home playoff game, I will go find Jamie Megan, take his watermelon, and stick it on my head and take a picture for you guys. So, I'm kind of leaving it up to Jamie to get the watermelon prepared. I don't want to do all the scooping out of the guts and all that and, and have to eat a whole watermelon myself. So You're taking the lazy uh, way out, Jumbo. Yeah, yeah. Taking the lazy way out. But I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I want to have some fun. I think it's, you know, it's part of uh, what makes NLL and NLL fans and, and players um, some of the most accessible and fun to interact with. So. So hopefully Jamie gets his uh, act together. I know he's coming down from Kamloops to do it, but uh, hopefully Carter's up a big enough hole to get my uh, size eight melon in a melon. Size eight, come on, that is being very gracious. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, maybe I'm shrinking in my old age. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Hey, did you get after it uh, with the Shamrock alumni guys there the other night? I saw a little piece on non-check there. They are. Oh, I was in Colorado for that game, so I, I okay. wasn't able to get after it with the boys, but. Uh, the Crowder game went off uh, the fourth year we've had in a row since it kind of took a hiatus, but it was a fantastic night. Artie was out there. Tyson Lies was out there. The Hebner yeah. brothers. So it was, it was a good night, and the intermediates and the junior Shamrocks had a great time with it, as always. So um, yeah. a fun night, and uh, it's always great to get the boys out every once in a while. Jumbo, uh, you and Brad will have the call on NLL TV and TSN 1410. Looking forward to it, and I'll see you at the LEC Saturday night, my friend. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. So there he is. There's Jake Elliott. Um, always calls a great game uh, for NLL TV and Team 1410 based out of Vancouver. So you will be able to hear that game Saturday night. Um, let's just get the official time here. NLL playoffs. 10 p.m. Eastern time. That is 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, I will be there. Jake will be there. Brad will be there. Will you be there? I truly expect, I truly do expect to be a sold-out crowd at the LEC. And why do I think that? Well, their crowds have been getting better over the past few weeks. Winning builds excitement. Excitement builds fan attraction. Fan attraction means more butts in the seats. Also, the Stealth haven't made the playoffs before as the Vancouver rendition. So this is something that the Lower Mainland hasn't seen since the Vancouver Ravens were around. If you take that one-off NLL championship game that was played when the Washington Stealth lost by a goal to the Rochester Nighthawks, 
it's something that hasn't been in this area in this market for over a decade. So I truly believe there's going to be a jam-packed crowd. And as Jake said, and it's the same at any small barn. When you get a full house and they are loud and they are rambunctious and they are into it and it's an exciting game, it is really loud in the LEC. And when I was at that Mammoth Stealth game two weeks ago, it was loud. And a boisterous crowd really can help a team drive through the, you know, the struggles of a game. So I expect there to be a very big crowd there Saturday night at the LEC for the West semifinal between the Stealth and the Mammoth. Earlier in that night, we will get the East semifinal between the Toronto Rock and the New England Black Wolves. Now, when we all thought going into the weekend that we're probably going to see that East semifinal at the casino in New England and the Rock will be traveling. Well, because of Corey Small's heroics, the Toronto Rock, all they had to do was go into their arch rival and the Buffalo Bandits and beat them. Well, it wasn't looking so good for Toronto in much of that game because the Bandits weren't going to go down without a fight and they weren't going to sit on their hands and say, hey, you know what, just because we're out of the playoffs doesn't mean we have anything to play for. Well, Buffalo had a 14-12 lead going into the fourth quarter. They scored the last three goals of the third quarter. They even scored the first goal of the fourth quarter to go up 15-12. And that was 23 seconds into the final 15. Well, kind of like the run the Mammoth went on, and much like the run that both the Stealth and the Black Wolves went on, the Toronto Rock just happened to go on a bit of a run themselves in the tune of seven straight goals from 4.58 to 14.03 and took the lead, never gave it up. And in the end earned themselves a home playoff game, and the game winner came off the stick of one of their most trusted offensive weapons, Brett Hickey. Toronto tying this game at 15. They're looking to take the lead again from the top of the slot. Getting batter to Schreiber. Retreats on the left point. In front of Hickey. Scores! That is what you call a quick stick. That goal was Brett Hickey's fourth of the night. He would add an empty netter for his fifth goal of the night, ending with 10 points to help vault the Toronto Rock into second place. And they get themselves a home playoff game. Incredible finish. An incredible season for the Toronto Rock. And the man that will be Breaking down all the action alongside Andy McNamara on NLL TV is Brian Shanahan, longtime friend of the show. Much like Jake Elliott, he is excited for this weekend's game, and I was able to catch up with him after he had finished his work on Tuesday. And everybody knows that Toronto is a sports-mad town, and the Leafs are now out of the playoffs. The Raptors got clowned by the Cleveland Cavaliers in Game 1, and so... 
you know, maybe some of the sports eyes are shifting towards the Toronto Rock as they continue to be one of the most prolific professional teams in the greater Toronto area. So I asked Shani, are they getting any attention? Are they getting any love? Yeah, unfortunately, no. The, the, the short answer is no, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a Leaf City for sure, and Raptors do have a huge following. So, uh, of course, there is the lacrosse community, like we always like to say, the, the diehards that are yeah. uh, crazy for the game and that will, uh, you know, it's number one ahead of everything else. But there's not the kind of buzz uh, that there are for, you know, the Leafs, the Raptors, or even the kind of buzz the Rock had in the early days, uh, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, when they were the new thing and playing yeah. in Maple Leaf Garden in front of sold-out crowds. But uh, there still are the diehards, and we, you know, hope that they get a good crowd this weekend uh, uh, to watch them in the playoffs because it was a bit of a surprise. I don't think... Uh, I know I wasn't expecting them to make the playoffs uh, coming into the weekend, or not the playoffs, to make a home game yeah. in second place coming into the weekend. But uh, still, yeah, I think there'll be a good crowd there anyhow. We're going to get to Saturday's game, but uh, let's talk about the Toronto Rocks' recent form. They went in a bit of a slump um, in the last month or so. What do you attribute that to? Because this was a team that, that was rolling pretty good for a while. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was just there, there's – style of success at the beginning of the year I thought was shut down defense and great goaltending and I and I think they slipped uh in both cases uh you know I, I think Nick Rose had a great season mm-hmm. all year but he was definitely better in the first half if you had asked me the goalie of the year the first half of the season uh without a doubt it was Nick Rose now I'd say uh you could make some arguments for uh um uh, you know I think I think in, in Colorado I think uh with Dylan, uh, Dylan Ward there, I think you could probably make an argument that he's the number one goalie in the league and Rose has slipped a little bit. Mm-hmm. But So I think his game has not been as strong, but I'm not laying the blame on him either. I think they played no. sloppy. Just, just watching the games, there was just, there was just too much transition allowed on opposition teams. And, and, and I hate also, you know, in, in, in general, we tend to blame the defense when there's a lot of goals scored, but often it's, it's because of mistakes made on offense and turnovers. So I'm not saying that it was the offense. I'm just saying it's a shared blame. Their shutdown game was not as good as it was in the, the beginning of the year. They just tended to be a little bit more sloppy. Um, and, and I think that really did last, you know, in the last uh, three or four weeks, including in Buffalo. It really wasn't a great game in yeah. Buffalo, but it was it was great that they did what they had to do in the fourth quarter, coming up with a huge quarter when they needed it most. And it was almost like, I, I don't think they did, but it's almost like they found out the score in the yeah. Vancouver New England game and decided to turn it on. But you know, from <laughs> what I've read, you know, the, the players didn't even know. I know the coaches did, but the players—it yeah. sure looked like a, an abrupt reaction. Absolutely. Um, do, do you think you know? You talk about some of those offensive mistakes and, and some of the mental lapses. The, the Rock, for once, are kind of a young team. Do you think that kind of played a part? Because there are some guys that are fairly new to, to this kind of lacrosse this late in the season. Yeah, I'm sure that was part of it. Because, you know, most of the times on the, on the mistaken plays, you could usually point a finger and say, okay, this kid made a mistake or that mm-hmm. guy made a mistake. So I, I think that is a lot of it. It's just, you know, mistakes being made on the floor that, that would turn into goals. I mean, it's, it's become such a great league with talent 
that yeah. you often pay for your mistakes. It's it's not often, you know, like every team has at least six or seven fantastic offensive players who can cash in when you make mistakes. And and that's you know what I what I saw happening a lot is when they made mistakes, they paid for it. You had an, an eyewitness to the year that Tom Shriver had. How impressive was it for a guy that's never played indoor, Canadian, American, European, doesn't matter. For a guy that's never played indoor to have this kind of success in the year that he did, hands down rookie of the year, how impressive was it to watch from your vantage point? It, it was huge, you know, and, it, and it, uh, the perspective changed very quickly. I watched him play uh, a couple exhibition games before the season started, and, and the ball wasn't going in the net for him, and he wasn't really getting the points, but you could see – the talent. I thought this guy's going to have a decent year, but nowhere did I dream yeah. that a decent year meant 94 points. I was <laughs> thinking that you know he's going to score, you know he's going to score 15, you know 15 to 20 goals maybe. He might, you know, he, I just thought he looked like a smart player. Uh, but very quickly, you know, the whole perspective changes. Like, okay, this kid, there's no point even talking about what a great rookie he's. He's been the offensive leader of the Toronto Rock this year. He's got great vision. He's got a great outside shot he can drive in the net really i mean he does look like a guy who's been playing box lacrosse his whole life because you know when things close up he can find the open guy yeah. and make that pass off balance and yeah it, it's been a great season and i almost feel guilty that i got so used to it at, you know halfway through the year it's i'm not being astounded at his six seven point game that he's getting because it's become very normal very quickly so you said it uh, rookie of the year not even a question. It's it's unanimous, and and I agree with you know I've read a few people who said he should get votes for the MVP. He's yeah. not going to win the MVP, but he he was the MVP for Toronto, and he will probably get some votes for it. He deserves to be mentioned, uh, you know, in the in the same sentence as those guys who are going to win the MVP. I think it's you know Lyle Thompson and Mark Matthews are the two front runners for that. Yeah. But yeah, he deserves some mention in the same sentence. So the Rock take on the New England Black Wolves uh, Saturday night at the ACC in what is going to be a fantastic game. Uh, what do you see this kind of game, this game playing out? Because when we have Vancouver and Colorado later that day, we know it's going to be a track meet. We know it's going to be a heck of a lacrosse game. Uh, but is this going to be a typical Eastern battle, very slow, methodical, defensive focus game? I don't know. Like so far this year, the Rock has just not matched up well against New England. They played him twice. They lost both times. Uh, Sean Evans wasn't in the lineup the first game. And for the most part, in both those games, the Rock played from behind the whole game. So I, I think it's important for Toronto to try to get an early lead. And the other thing that was interesting about both those games, the Toronto Rock outshot New England badly both games. And yeah. uh, Evan Burke probably had two of his better games in the season against the Toronto Rock. So I'm not so sure if, if you're looking at the game tape and that, if if you're the Toronto Rock coaching staff, if you're saying there was too much wrong with what they did. Uh, now, obviously, I think the last one, I can't remember, it was 16, 15, or you know, 15, 14. Toronto, no matter who they play, they don't want to allow 15 goals against. No. I think if, if, if they can go in there keeping it down, their goal has to be to shut a team down to 10 goals or less. I think that's when they've had the most success this season is defensively. I mean, once in a while they can light it up offensively, but I don't think they want to play a run-and-gun game against, uh, you know, Crowley and Sean Evans and even, uh, I like to call them the Buchanan brothers. I know they're not mm -hmm. brothers. They don't want <laughs> yeah, to give yeah. them 
Uh, you don't want to light it up with those guys because I do think they have some uh, good offensive firepower. I think The Rock wants to shut them down and frustrate them as much as possible. Uh, Matt Sawyer is sort of in his first quote-unquote year as, as the head coach of the Toronto Rock. He's had other stints around the league. But how do you think he adjusted to coming in and, and handling this team and running it his way? Well, it's, it's funny because I, I don't really think of him as a, as a new coach because yeah. he's been so involved. I know I know it's his only his second time as a head coach. He was the head coach of Boston a while back. But, uh, you know, he's also coached uh, Junior A with, you know, the uh, Northmen for many years. So I feel that he's a very experienced coach. And, and that's the one thing I do feel about The Rock is their coaching staff, I, I feel that they've got these guys always very well prepared. And, and I, I've got, you know, the utmost confidence in their ability to game plan. Of course, you know, on the, on the other side of the coin, you've got Glenn Clark and Jimmy Veltman, and they're no slouches yeah. themselves. But, <laughs> they're already. Uh, coach of the year last year. But, uh, but I do feel from Toronto's point of view that, that Matt Sawyer – He's uh, got great experience in, in coaching, whether he's head coach, assistant coach, uh, and he knows how to, how to put together a good game plan. So I, I don't feel there's any kind of intimidation or this is a new thing for him at all. Um, before we let you go, and, and you know, I have allegiance sort of with Colorado, you have allegiance with Toronto, but um, in your power rankings and everything you've seen this year, it, it, are, are we destined and are we on a collision course for a Saskatchewan-Georgia final? Or, or can somebody upset one of those two top dogs? I think they can be upset, but there's no question they're the heavy favorites. I mean, they, they, they've got to be for what they've done all season. But I said at the beginning of the year, and I'll stick with it now, that I, I don't think Saskatchewan is going to three-peat just because everything has to go right for that yeah. to happen. Yeah. Now, now if, they, if they do, I'm not going to be shocked or even surprised. I just think, you know, you could have an injury or – Anything can happen, or, or you know, uh, you know, and it, it is pretty amazing that you know, like a team like Rochester did it because it's such a tough league to win mm-hmm. even back to back in. But uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, if you're betting the house, it should be put on those two teams making it to the final. But I think we're going to see an upset at least in in one one division or another. And and you know what, Vancouver's impressed yeah. me a lot with the way they play lately, and they played so tough against the teams of their division. I don't think anybody's feeling comfortable about playing them in the playoffs. No, I just had Jake Elliott on, and that's exactly what he said. I think a lot of teams are, are worried about playing the Vancouver of self and, and the form that they have had the last few weeks. Shani, you're going to have the call with Andy McNamara on NL, NLL TV Saturday night. Have a great call, and uh, always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah, thanks very much, Teddy. You too, and uh, that Colorado game. Have fun. Oh, Shani, you know I'm going to have fun at that Colorado game. But Toronto-New England is going to be a very, very interesting matchup. Because, as you heard Shani say, the first time they played, uh, Evans was in the lineup, New England won. Second time they played, Evans was in the lineup, and they did win. And it's going to be interesting to see how this defense can settle down in a game that is going to be very high-tensed. They're going to have to rely on Brody Merrill and some of the veterans guys out of that back end to settle a lot of the young guys down because this is a big occasion for everybody. And for a lot of those guys that haven't been in this position before, it's a big step. 
And just like in the NHL playoffs, the physicality turns up a notch. Uh, the referees tend to want to let things go a little bit more and let the players decide. So there's going to be a big difference between regular season and playoffs. For some of those young guys, there might be a bit of a shock and an adjustment period to get ready for that game. But I really like Toronto's chances. I really do. I think Matt Sawyer has a great young group of guys that have really bought in the system, and they don't care if they're first-year guys that have never played box before or if they're a seasoned war vet like Brody. They just want to compete, and they want to win. And I think, I truly believe that Tom Schreiber will be a huge part of their success, not just in the playoffs, but for many more years to come. You know, you heard Shani talk, hands down, rookie of the year. I know there were some other fantastic rookie performances out there. Um, and the all-rookie team this year will be, you know, a really talented all-rookie team. And we'll be hearing from a lot of those guys that are going to be on that list for quite some time. But what Tom Schreiber did this year was nothing short of phenomenal. For a guy never played box before. Doesn't matter where he's from. A lacrosse player, stepping indoors for the first time to have that success. Brilliant, brilliant performance by Tom Schreiber. I think Nick Rose is going to have to step his game up. I think that defense is going to be under swarm quite a bit um, from the likes of Sean Evans and Crowley and the Buchanan boys. Don't count out Culpamania. I think that is going to be a fantastic game. I think it's going to be hard-nosed. I think it's going to be quite high scoring. But I think it'll be a fantastic lacrosse game. That game goes at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So you can check that one out on NLLTV.com. And then, as we mentioned, the other game, Vancouver at Colorado. Nope. Colorado at Vancouver. See, I still am hoping, but it's not going to happen. There's always hope, just not in this case. Colorado at Vancouver, and obviously I have to pick the Colorado Mammoth to win that game. And the reason I'm going to is they'll have Zach Greer back, or at least they should. They'll have Stephen Keogh back, and there is a very bitter taste in the mouth of the Colorado Mammoth players not only from the last time that they played in Colorado and not just from the two times they lost to him at home in Colorado when they lost to the Stealth, but because this was a team that for years has been trying to avoid Calgary and get over that Calgary hump, and they get that opportunity finally, and they can't do it at home, and they're pissed off, and they're upset with the way they finished and closed out the year, and they're going to come into the LEC, and they're going to be fired up, they're going to be ready to go. They're going to be focused. And it is going to be an absolute track meet. I think the battle between Dylan Ward and Ty Belanger will be uh, an incredible goaltender's duel. And I just, I'm so shocked at where Ty Belanger has come out of the blue from. And I've, I said it last week, and even Jake said it, and 
You know, there was times where he just didn't really believe in Ty Belanger, that he could get it done. And week after week over the last month and a half, he's gotten the job done for them. And Dylan Ward is one of the front runners for goaltender of the year, and he has been as MVP worthy as most, and he's definitely the MVP for the Colorado Mammoth. He is going to be have to be on his A game. Their defense is going to have to be even better. And if they are going to have success, they're going to need a full healthy front unit, and they're going to have to be able to move the ball, move their feet, and get that Vancouver defense spread out so that some of the shots that are getting knocked down by all those sticks, because Vancouver does an incredible job at knocking balls down. They got to find a way to the middle of the floor. They got to move their feet and they have to move the ball if they're going to be successful against a very hyperactive Vancouver defense. There's one game we haven't talked about from the past weekend. Um, And that's the Georgia-Rochester game. Yes, we didn't talk kind of Calgary-Saskatchewan. That game was didn't really mean anything. Um, Kudos to all the fans in Calgary for showing up. They had over 18,000 fans in Calgary, which is phenomenal. For for a fan base to show up for the last game of the year, regular season game of the year, for a team that's out of the playoffs, and to show up in those kind of numbers is incredible. Like, great job. Um, by the ticketing staff and all those people behind the scenes in Calgary that got all those people out to that game because very easily there could have been 10,000 people there and yet they put in 18,000. The Roughnecks doubled up the rush 14-7 and they went on a high note. Now, what comes from the offseason in cities like Buffalo in Calgary, now that they've missed the playoffs, for the Roughnecks, it's like the first time since I think their second year in the league that they haven't made the playoffs. There could be some serious offseason moves. But I kind of moved over that game. We're not going to break that game down as much because it didn't have as much significance. Neither did the Georgia-Rochester game because Georgia had won the night before. However... If you haven't seen the finish to that game, you might want to go to NLL TV, pull up the game re-highlights, and check it out. Because this is how the game ended. Rochester's going to let that happen. They might jump a pass, but... And Sellers is the extra man as now Thompson starts to circle. Sellers with eight seconds left. Flips it over to McIntosh. Now back to Lyle. Lyle cutting inside, loses the ball. And then it is thrown on the cage. It rolls in! Did the horn sound? Well, it's an automatic review. Did the horn sound? It was so hard to hear. Rochester is celebrating like they've won this thing. I actually didn't hear a horn at all. I didn't hear a horn at all. So if you're kind of confused, let me break it down for you. As that game is in the final, I think it was 31.7 seconds left. Georgia has the ball. They've called timeout. They draw up a six-on-five play. They pull Mike Poulin. They go down. They set up their offense. Graham Hosick strips Lyle Thompson with about four seconds left, picks up the loose ball, 
and fires it three quarters of the floor and it bounces and it bounces and then you don't see it. All you see is the official's arms going up in the air. There is no buzzer. The referee immediately calls it a good goal. And Rochester wins the game on an incredible buzzer beater. It's truly unfortunate that game didn't mean anything because then the celebration on the floor would have been just pandemonium. But out of all of this comes something that I've been trying to figure out for quite some time with the National Cross League. Because obviously, Georgia, well, that call gets reviewed anyway. It's under the last two minutes. So lead official, crew chief, Mark Gardonio, goes into the penalty box, looks at the review screen, gets all the review angles that he can to try and make the best informed decision that he can with conclusive evidence. Now, the only way to truly have conclusive, conclusive evidence if that ball went in was to truly be able to see game clock and the ball going across the line. Whether it's split screen or whether it's an overlay of the game clock onto the replays of whatever he's watching. But he's unable to get that. One, we don't have the the equipment slash technology. Two, there was no replay possible or available that showed the two things at the same time. So when I reached out to Brian Lemon about this incident, I asked him, would Gardonio have had that ability? And Lemon's response was, no, there's no replay available to see both at the same time, which boggles my mind because in a game where goals come out lightning quick and can happen in the blink of an eye and this is quite like the situation that happened in Vancouver two weeks ago where there should have been a reset or there shouldn't sorry there shouldn't have been a reset and Vancouver got possession and ended up scoring when the shot clock most likely would have expired and if the mammoth would have challenged that there would have been no real way to tell unless you could have that exact angle to see both. So in this case, Gardonio is unable to see the ball cross the line and what the game clock says. Now, in fairness, the ball did go in before the game ended, so it's kind of moot. However, it is a technology that the National Lacrosse League should have. And an ability that all the refs should be afforded to be able to look at a replay and see game clock and shot clock all at the same time. I'm not an AV wizard. I was in the AV club, though. I'm not an AV wizard by any means. But I think that should probably be something that's pretty easy to get. But again, I don't know. So I asked... Brian Lemon of the NOL, if this is something that the league is talking about, and he said, yes, we're doing a thorough evaluation of our broadcast geared towards making improvements. So that's awesome. But it's situations like these that bring up these conversations and also highlight a lot of the issues that we still have in our game and 
in the production of our game. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, some arenas not giving National Lacrosse League teams full access to everything. I remember in Everett, when the Stealth were there, that they only had use of one of the overhead cameras, so they weren't allowed to use either of them. And in some rinks, you know, the cameras aren't properly positioned so that you can see everything. Not every rink has, you know, a six-camera system. Some are just operating on one or two. All those things need to improve as we move forward. But that just kind of gives you enough to date of some of the things that are talked about or looked at and maybe some of the things that people just don't think about. Out of that Georgia game, we got our 2017 scoring leader. He is none other than Miles Thompson, finished with 116 points, three ahead of Mark Matthews, five ahead of Corey Small, nine ahead of Curtis Dixon, and 13 points ahead of Sean Evans. Those were your 100-point men, five of them. Callum Crawford was two points off. But from that group, you will most likely get your league MVP. And I'm still fighting with who I think is going to get it. Because Lyle Thompson leads the league in scoring, was a true MVP type for that Georgia Swarm team. And I think he's going to garner a lot of the votes. I think Mark Matthews will get some votes. But what Corey Small did over the last three weeks, averaging over six points a game, leading the Stealth to three straight victories and into their first playoff game at home, I think we'll definitely get some looks. But I think it's going to be a very tight race for the MVP at the end of the year. And when you talk about most valuable players in the MVP award, it is the most valuable player to their team. As in, if you took that player off of their team, would they be as successful? And I said this when we were talking about the stealth earlier in this program. If not for Ty Belanger, where is this club? Just like you could say a lot of teams without their goaltender and the way they play, where would this club be? I'm not sure Vancouver gets in if Tyler Richards is their number one goaltender or if they still had Eric Penny. The way Ty Belanger played down the stretch for the Vancouver Stealth not only catapulted his team into the playoffs, it catapulted him to a career year, a .796 save percentage, an 11.22 goals against average. He was number one in save percentage and number four in goals against average. He made 601 saves. But what what hurts him is obviously the number of losses that he had. He had seven losses. You're probably not going to give the MVP to a guy who had a 500 record. However, he lost, he took the loss in four of his first five starts. The only game he didn't get the decision in is the Saskatchewan game, the third game of the year. He only played 37 seconds. But of their first five games, 
he got four losses. And then he ends the year with four wins in those last five starts. That's called turning your game around. And I know it's not, like I said, he's not going to get, he's not going to win an MVP and it's not going to get him a lot of votes. He could get votes for that performance. But what I do think he can win is the unsung hero. Because that's heroic. And it came out of nowhere. And if the Colorado Mammoth are going to get over the semifinal hump and get back to the West Final, they are going to need to solve Ty Belanger. And not a lot of teams have been able to do it as of yet. But the crazy thing is, is he still susceptible to giving up a lot of goals? Even in that, you know, those four wins in his last five games, he gave up eleven. He gave up double digits three times, and one of them was a sixteen-goal game this past weekend. So he's still susceptible to putting up big numbers against. It also helps when your offense is scoring a lot of goals too. So, you know. The play of Corey Small down the stretch, the play of Ty Belanger, all year, the efforts of Lyle Thompson. We talked about Tom Schreiber. Like, Latrell Harris uh, set a rookie record for cause turnovers in a rookie season. Uh, thank you to Steven Stamp for pointing that record out in his um, career, no, his record pursuit article over on uh, Inside Lacrosse. Uh, Harris had 29 caused turnovers this year, uh, surpassing Robert's hope 28 from the 2015 season. Um, Harris just turned 19. It's incredible what he's doing. I've used the word incredible a lot. I wish this was Pee Wee's Playhouse because that would be the word of the day. But it's true. This year has been full of incredible performances by rookies, by seasoned vets, by guys who have only been in the league for a few years. The talent in the National Lacrosse League is as good as it has ever been. And we still have the playoffs to go. It's phenomenal. There, I used another word. Um, Before we get out of here, we were talking about um, just the sheer number of of points teams have been putting up this year. What Georgia did, and we talked about Georgia a lot, um, the just the amount of goals that they put up. In 18 games this season, they scored 266 goals. That is just under 15 goals per game. The next closest team was Saskatchewan, and they had 35 less goals. It's incredible. What's more incredible, and I got to thank my man Graham Perro for this NLL fact of the day a few days ago. The Georgia Swarm had seven players with 50 or more points. They had five players with 70 or more points. Lyle Thompson, 116. Shane Jackson, 84. Jordan Hall, 80. Randy Stott, 76. Kyle Matisse, 70. 
Miles Thompson, 57, and Johnny Palace, who only played 10 games, had 50. Incredible. Yes, I did go and find the Pee Wee Secret Word sound effect just so I could put that in there. And it was after I said the word incredible. (laughs) Now I don't know what I've gotten myself into. I'm going to try not to say the I word anymore for the rest of the show. No promises, though, because apparently it's a crutch word for me. So how do we wrap up this season? I think unexpected could be a very good word to use to sum up the 2017 regular season. At the start of the year, I said Georgia was my dark horse in the East. And they definitely were the beasts of the East. But really, coming out of nowhere, you didn't really think that they could put the year together that they did. And... When you think of how far this club has come since their early days in Minnesota, they were always kind of on the verge of being right there. But everybody knows the story of of John Arlotta and trading away veterans for picks and trading away fan favorites to cut down costs. And in the end, it all kind of worked out, strangely enough, that they have this phenomenally talented lacrosse club. And they are set for years to come. And even scarier is that they have three first-round picks next year. Their own, one from New England, and one from Toronto. You couldn't think that this team could get any younger but they're about to. Now, does John Arlotta maybe try and shop some of those picks to get a couple key veterans? I'm sure that Brody McDonald doesn't want to keep flying the furthest travel route of, I think, anybody in the National Cross League for a home game from Vernon to Georgia. So they could be in the market for a backup. But goaltending is going to become a very key premium coming up as soon as expansion happens because you can only protect one goaltender for an expansion draft. So when that time comes, and we all have our fingers crossed that it will come, guys like Alex Bouquet, Guys like Christian Del Bianco, Tyler Carlson, those guys are probably going to be left unprotected. So there's going to be some positions available, and backups are going to come at a commodity. Now, I don't think Georgia is going to trade a first-round pick for a backup. However, they could definitely be doing some maneuvering. Now, I don't think John Arlotta would compile all of those picks just to trade them away. 
He's done stranger things. But I would expect those three picks, you know, to be used. But I also expect the unexpected. Because that is what 2017 was all about. I don't know how the playoffs can top the regular season. But as we have seen in the past, when you have a playoff format that includes a single game elimination, a possible 10-minute minigame, and a best-of-three series, anything can and will happen. One of the reasons that the National Lacrosse League is so great. Before we go, I want to send a massive, massive, massive congratulations uh, to my former teammate and a very good friend of mine, Sean Williams, being inducted into the Rochester Nighthawks Hall of Fame. Uh, It was a fantastic ceremony. Um, It was a very emotional ceremony. And I know how much the Nighthawks meant to Willie. I know how much the game of lacrosse means to Willie. And it was a fantastic honor, a well-deserved one, and I am so happy um, that the Nighthawks bestowed that upon him. Which leads us to the visions of the 2017 National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame class. Because Colin Doyle, Sean Williams, and most likely John Grant Jr. will be on ballots this year. And I will have a hard time putting anybody above those three. I'm still of the mind in saying that Casey Powell should be in the Lacrosse Hall of Fame. So maybe Willie gets bumped for one more year because I, I still believe Casey should be in there. But if, the, if he doesn't get in this year, I think Casey could get in next year. I don't see any you know true bona fide first ballot guys still in the league that have yet to retire. Point of note, John Grant Jr. has not officially retired from the National Lacrosse League. He's only retired from Summer Ball and from the MLL. But you can kind of see some writings on the wall. So you'd expect the Hall of Fame class for 2017 to include Junior and Doyle. Which leaves the options for other people to get in there. But I think your best bets would be Casey Powell or Sean Williams, which would be one of the best classes in the Hall of Fame ever. Like, there's some good Hall of Fame classes out there. But just if it's, like last year, Tavares, Shooter, TK, and then this year is going to be Doyle, Junior, maybe Willie. We're lose- the game is losing some greats. And the game is honoring some greats. But when you look at the players that are in the NLL right now, the talent is going to be setting records 
and breaking barriers like we never thought possible. Yes, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're playing 18-game seasons. The nets are a little bit bigger. The game is faster, stronger, more intense. We may never see anybody touch John Tavares' numbers. I don't think we ever will. I don't think this game will ever see anybody play that long consistently at that high level. I don't think we'll ever see it. The Dane Smith 137 number, that's a really lofty number for guys to get. Like, the guys this year had pretty perfect seasons when you think about it. Like, sure, Lyle and Mark Matthews and Corey Small and Dixon and all these guys had the odd off game. But to put up 116, 117, 104, 103, though, like, it's not easy in this day and age. Sean Evans just put up 100 points for the fifth straight year. That's never been done before. So when we look at some of the names that are going into the Hall of Fame now, the names that will be going in in years to come are going to be some of the greats in our game today, and it is fantastic. I love where the NLL is right now. And the talent is only getting better with more and more kids going down south to play college ball, getting more experience playing Canadian senior lacrosse, more Americans coming across the border to play box lacrosse. The revolution is coming. And the talent is getting better and better every year. We just need to find someone to develop a goalie factory and start pumping out goaltenders. Because... As expansion comes, the need for top-flight goaltenders will be immense. And I don't think there's a lot out there. So we need to develop referees. We need to develop goaltenders. We need to develop broadcasters to work with all the talent that is out on the floor with short sticks in their hands. That'll do it for another weekend and the last regular season episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast. The semifinals begin this weekend. Saturday night at the ACC, Andy McNamara, Brian Shanahan will have the call on NLL TV. It's the Toronto Rock and the New England Black Wolves. Three hours after that game starts, Brad Chowner, Jake Elliott will have the call on NLL TV and TSN 1410. In the West final mammoth stealth for the fifth time this year can the mammoth finally get over the hump can the stealth advance to the second round for the first time since 2013 we'll find out all of that by sunday morning and when it comes to tuesday we'll have a lot to talk about thanks to jake elliott Thanks to Brian Shanahan for giving us time on the show this week. And thank you to you, as always, for tuning in to another episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio and SoundCloud. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Until next Tuesday, enjoy the games, everybody. Take a friend to a game. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they'll have. Until then, be excellent to each other.